You know, this past week, um, I was down in Columbus for the day and had various meetings going on, and I believe it was Tuesday. I've lost track of my days this week. Um, it was the day when the big storm went through here. That was Tuesday, I believe, wasn't it? Somewhere on there, Tuesday, Wednesday? Somebody help me out. Wednesday, okay, thank you. I, big monsoon, as I heard. Um, as I left Columbus, I looked on the radar before I left, and I saw this big red glob north of Columbus all the way up to here. And I thought, that's not fun. And then I saw a couple text messages. Boys are in the basement. Sirens are going off. Da, da, da. It's like, oh, we're getting, getting hammered. And, uh, but I looked on that radar, and I saw it. I'm going, I'm going to have to drive through that, and that's not going to be fun. So as I headed north out of Columbus, coming, coming home, uh, I, I was watching the clouds, and it was picking up. And uh, I thank God for this, but I didn't have to drive through the worst of it. I drove through some of it. But by the time as I, the further I got north, the more it sort of moved on, and I sort of got through the tail of it. When I got up to Finley, and north of Finley, and, and got to 75 where there was semi-trucks blown over, uh, wires down, and then I had to reroute, and I just got off a side road uh, to go through Macomb, and, and I saw corn just bent over, and I saw grain wagons, and I'm thinking, okay, I remember pulling those grain wagons around. Those are heavy. On their side, barn doors blown in, uh, trees knocked over, trees on top of houses. Uh, I couldn't believe it as I just drove all the way from that point where I got off 75 all the way up to Deschler, past there even into Napoleon to see all that damage all along the way. Now, I missed a storm, okay? But the evidence of the storm was clear. I think we've all seen moments like that where it's like, something happened here. Something incredible just took place. And in that moment, I'm glad I wasn't there to see it. Okay? But we've also seen the evidence of great things happen. And we have for a moment in our hearts saying, I wish I would have been there. Oh, I just, you see the evidence of something took place, like, oh, oh, I wish I could have been there. Let's say an empty pizza box, right? You walk up, and there's the little cheese piece, and there's a couple maybe pepperonis laying there, and you're thinking, oh, I missed out on the pizza. Well, there's the evidence there of a box, and I missed something good. See, the, the evidence is always clear. The question is, did you miss out on something good or something bad? I'm going to tell you something right now, okay? As a disciple of Jesus Christ, people should see the evidence of us as we go to and from places. They should see something incredible happening in our lives and the evidence that is left behind. Next Sunday, I hope you're here and you don't miss out on the evidence of something good that's going to take place. Mark Cahill is here next week and, and he's going to come in and, and, and really share with us on Sunday morning. Then we've got a two-hour session in the afternoon from four to six. Uh, and, I, and I told, you know, I joke with the worship team. I said, there's no cost if you show up. It's the cost that you have to pay if you don't show up in more ways than one. Uh, because to miss out on what he's going to teach us on evangelism is so important. And so whatever you may have going on that afternoon, if you can change, change it, okay? You do not want to miss this. Uh, as a church, I want to strongly encourage you to be there. Now, if you're out of town, something's going on, I understand, that's fine. Um, but do all you can to be there because you would not want to pull in later and see the evidence of something incredible that took place in the I missed it. I missed it. Don't miss it. Okay? Open up your Bibles to the book of Mark. The book of Mark. Now, last week we got started on D90X. Let's see everybody 
make some muscles pump, show me your guns. Okay, never mind. All right. Very familiar, yes, to P90X, but this is D90X, focusing on 90 days of discipleship. And uh, I sort of got through that last week. We're on about, what, 83 days now, okay, because we started last week. And then I don't plan on being as intense physically, but it will be intentional. Now, if you haven't figured that out yet, by my emails and text messages to you, you will. Now, see, our goal is to be like Christ. We want to be transformed. We want to be holy, okay? We don't want to be happy Christians. We want to be holy Christians, okay? I'm okay if you want to, you know, be happy, 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 okay, like Mr. Robertson, okay? That's fine. Uh, but we need to be holy, holy holy as we read in the book of Revelation. Romans 12, 2 says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Now, 90 days, as I said, it's just a focused time period. Nothing magical about it, not a measuring stick. Uh, it's just a journey, and journeys take time. You may see, <clears throat> you may see, Hanging out with the kids too much. All right, um, you may see changes going on in your life spiritually within nine days. That would be awesome, okay? But 90 days is just a thrown out there like any workout system, any rehab. There's a few established ground rules, and so repeat after me. Here we go. Ready for this? Commit. I'm just repeating what we did last week, okay? I want to make sure we're, we're, we're all sound on this. Commit. This isn't a program or a piece of equipment. It's a charted journey. Discipleship. It's a daily choice to walk in the same direction that Jesus walked. You have to commit. Here's the second thing. Repeat after me. Prepare. You have to prepare yourself. Get up in the morning before you start each day, before you read, before you pray. Ready your heart. God, I want to walk in your direction today. I want to follow you. I want to prepare my heart because I know I'm going to have things coming my way. And if I'm not prepared, you're not going to follow. Okay? So we're going to commit. We're going to prepare. Here's the next thing. Pay a price. Ooh, one more time, because I know you didn't like this one. Let's try it again. Pay a price. There we go. To live for Christ, you have to give up something. Time, money, whatever it may be. I'm going to give up this event, this opportunity, because I know Jesus wants me to go this direction. I've got to give up something. I'm going to have to pay a price, okay? Here's the next thing. Be patient. Very good. This is a growing process. You don't see immediate results. You know, if you choose to follow Jesus and commit, you will change, but more importantly so will others. And this takes time. Be patient. Okay, last one. Get tough. All right. This won't be easy. You're going to want to give up. That's why God gave you His very spirit to live within you, to encourage you, to equip you, to help you do this. Okay, so get tough. Thick skin on this. Okay, that's why we're pairing up with another person in this church. And I think we established this last week, okay, that you need to find a discipleship partner. Okay, now our first job before, I'm going to come back to this, okay, but our first job is what? Before we have this discipleship partner, the first thing is we need to see Jesus for who he is. We need to see Jesus for who he is. We went through the whole chapter of Mark 1, and I flew through it. And, you know, Dan and I talked later that week and said, man, there's like 10 sermons in there. It's like, I know, I know. But my whole point was, as I read through that whole chapter of Mark 1, was for us to see what? Jesus is the Son of God. John the Baptist said it. The demons said it, God said it, it's very clear in that very first chapter, Jesus is the Son of God. If you don't believe Jesus is the Son of God, you can't be a disciple. You can't follow him. And if you're struggling with following Jesus, maybe it's because you don't see Jesus as truly the Son of God. Once we catch a real glimpse 
of who Jesus is, it should determine then how we follow him. It says in the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verses 5 to 7, For God never said to any angel for what he said to Jesus, You are my son. Today I have become your father. And then God also said, I will be his father, he'll be my son. And when he brought his supreme, let me hear you say supreme, when he brought his supreme son into the world, God said, let all God's angels worship him. Truly the son of God. Our first step in this D90X is to understand that Jesus is the son of God, recognize that, acknowledge it, then we exercise it. We talked about the truth. We act upon truth by going to him. Then we take our family, our friends with us. So we acknowledge it, we exercise it. And our first assignment was this. Find a disciple partner. Somebody who's going to walk alongside with you. Okay? And when I said a disciple partner, I said, this is somebody you converse with about your faith. Okay? Just said to the disciples, they were friends. They were brothers. Okay? They walked out their faith together. And I want you and I, just like the disciples, to pick someone that we can walk out our faith with. Now, I put a lot of stipulations out there, and I sent out one. First of all, I sent out the big email to everybody. If you didn't get it, let me know. Okay? Um, and I said this, you're not mentoring them, they're not mentoring you. This isn't a mentoring process. Okay? It's like, I'm here to help you, and you're here to help me. No, no, you're there together. You're walking out faith together. That's what the disciples did. I don't think James and John were like, and Peter were like, Hey, uh, Thaddeus, Andrew, we're here to help you because you're really weak. Especially you, Judas. You, you look like you get the betraying look going on you. you know? That wasn't it. They were disciples. They walked together. It's not a mentoring process, okay? This is someone who's also trying to follow Jesus. Okay? Who else wants to follow Jesus? That's who you're walking with, okay? Now, I said, I don't want this to be your spouse because I felt that's the easy way out. I think that's very easy for you then to say, yeah, okay, good. Now we don't have to talk to anybody else in the church. Good, okay. We'll do it on a little accountable thing, okay? And how long does that go? Tell me, spouses, how long do the wonderful plans that we make for each other last? Oh, we're going to do date night every Tuesday night. How long did that last? Like two weeks, yeah. One week, okay. Um, so I, I wanted to purposely say, find somebody besides your spouse. Now, as a last resort, I've looked everywhere. I can't find anybody else who wants to follow Jesus and hold me accountable and walk with, okay? Fine, go with your spouse, but... Try to find somebody else, okay? It can be somebody of a different relationship in the family. Cousin, brother-in-law, sister, aunt, uncle, I don't care, okay? I was just trying to find somebody besides your spouse. And I said men match with men, women match with women, okay? Pretty simple. Find someone who's willing. Don't force it on them. You know, keep texting. Come on, please, come on, please, you know. All right. Okay, well, they're, they're going to be a fun discipleship partner, Okay. <laughs> Um, find somebody at work, play, related, not your spouse, classmate, anybody from church. Um, basically, anybody willing to get in touch at least once a week, twice, as much as you want, okay? But at least once a week, just to connect. Like I said, it could be a phone call, face-to-face -face visit, a text. Somehow connect once a week to hold each other accountable. Now, this is somebody you already do life with. Think about this. Think about your friends, people you attend church with, people you work with. Uh, some of you already sent back messages. Hey, I got, I got somebody at work that I work with. This is awesome. So it's like, great. They didn't have to be somebody from here. I mean, that, that's ideal. That's good. But it can be from anywhere, okay? Um, this, and here's the, I also put this in the email. This is not your Jesus, okay? And you are not their Jesus. Anybody following me on this? It's like, wow, I know you can really help me. That, they're not your Jesus. They're walking with you with Jesus, okay? Make sense? 
Proverbs 27, 17 says this, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens another. You're going to sharpen one another. You're going to help one another. So for the next 83 days, you talk with them once a week. Talk more as much as you want, okay? Now, here's where I told you I was going to hold you accountable. I took that picture last week, remember? You saw the email. The picture was included with it. And then I went through a list. Took all of the adults. I didn't include the teens, so the youth. Now, if they want to do it, that's awesome. But I'm starting with the adults. And listed them. All the adults that call this their church. Okay? And then I started pairing them up as they came to me. Okay? Boom, boom, boom. Good. Nice. All right. Then I had about another 150 people I'm waiting on. So I sent out another email and a text message. And what I found out was that I've got some wrong numbers in my phone. Okay? Uh, I don't think I kept the one message. Like, who is this? I said it was Rex. <laughs> Who's Rex? Um, I, then I threw in the pastor. A uh, pastor Rex. That settled him down right away. Um, and I said to somebody else, Who's your discipleship partner from Rex? Blah, blah, blah. And then they were like, Well, I don't know who you're sending this to, but I'm a believer. Go for it. Sounds like you're doing a good thing there at your church. <laughs> Excellent. That's not so and so. Take that off. That was. Um, so I found out that a few of my numbers I had to correct, okay? But then I did hear back from others, and so some of you are like getting text messages or emails from me, or maybe you haven't even checked yet, um, but it's like, what is he doing? I said, I told you, I'm holding you accountable, okay? Uh, as a shepherd, I need to do that, okay? So if I don't hear from you again, well, next step. No. Uh, <laughs> I will be calling. I will be contacting you somehow. I don't know what's the next step, but I will find the next step to find out who's your discipleship partner. Um, and if you're having a hard time, man, just be honest with me. Say, I, I don't know. I have no clue. I said, great. Let me, let me give you a suggestion. I'll, you know, I'll try to find somebody for you and help you out. Or, hey, as long as it's a guy, I can partner up with the guys. Girls, doesn't matter. You can have two or three. There's like uh, some of you said, well, there's three of us. Is that okay? Absolutely. Absolutely. Four, fine. Okay. Five, stop it. Okay. Um, you know, you can go three, four. That's fine with me. But, and, I'm, and I'm not going to make this a competition, but I'm going to tell you right now, you know how many ladies I've heard from? 16. Okay. You know how many men I've heard from? 16. Ooh. I thought that was pretty cool. Usually the ladies are out doing the guys. Now, men, I don't know if it's the Father's Day message we gave or what, but you stepped up. Thank you. Okay. I'm just saying it's tied right now. Not being competitive or anything, but <clears throat> come on, guys. Um, with that being said, what's, what's our next step? What's our next step? Okay. Again, first we recognize that who Jesus is, the truth that he is the Son of God, okay? Now, here's the thing I want you to understand. Jesus had this message that he preached. Read through the Gospels as we read. And especially in Mark, Jesus said, Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Repent. I mean, what is his mission? His message was salvation. It was changed life. It was, I know where you're going in life, and it's not good, so please repent. For God's kingdom is near. That was his message. And I love it. But here's the thing. How did his message get introduced? Through his disciples. The most important message we could ever have in life, the most important thing we could ever say to somebody, the most important thing that we need to hear that Jesus was expressing, who did he choose to take that message? His disciples. That floors me. Introduced by ordinary people called disciples. 
Those who followed Jesus, those who trusted Jesus, they obeyed Jesus. They took that message into the world. Now, one who follows Jesus, that's you, that's me, calling ourselves disciples for this, for what we're doing here, okay? We've got to take that message. You're going to learn more about that next week, okay? But here's the awesome truth, that Jesus is the Son of God, and he saves us from eternal destruction. That's an incredible message. It's free. By the grace of God, we can find new life in him. But that's not where it stops. That's where it starts. That's the message. Now who's going to take it? Us. Look at the person next to you and say, we get to do it. Go ahead, go for it. Oh, yeah, we get to do it. Isn't that cool? That's our responsibility. Now you're in the book of Mark, right? Mark chapter 2. Let me turn there. Mark chapter 2. See, here's the deal though. The truth about Jesus being the Son of God, that's great, okay? The incredible truth that we are the ones that get to take that message about Jesus, but we sort of stop there because we, we stop with the, but am I qualified? Can I really do this? I get nervous. I feel really inadequate. I don't know if I'm capable. Let's start thinking of all the excuses, okay? I'm not quite the godly material. You don't know my past. People look at me and, and I, I'm not a good speaker. The words don't flow. I, I don't know Scripture well enough. I'm afraid they're going to ask me something and then I'm going to blow it and, and not say the right thing and then they're going to laugh at me. I'm, I'm afraid of rejection. Oh, come on, man. We've all been through jun junior high. I just, you know, okay, I just did that for you, okay? We, we've all been through junior high, the squeaky voice time of our life when we went to ask the girl at the date or at the dance, and she's like, no, we know rejection, right? But we've gotten over that. We're men now. It's okay to be rejected. Been there, done that, right? But yet, rejection really stuns us. I don't like rejection. I don't care how old I am. I don't care if I've been rejected as a kid, now I'm older. It's like, oh, I can get over it, right? It still hurts, right? Rejection is rejection. So what excuses do we have for not wanting to be a disciple of Jesus? What excuses do we have? What insecurities do we have? Maybe that's what it is. It's just insecurity. Why is it that we've disqualified ourselves? Look at Mark chapter 2. In Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 13. Let's read this together. Jesus went out to the lake shore again. He taught the crowds that gathered around him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collection booth. Come, be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi, also named Matthew, got up and followed him. That night, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to be his dinner guest, along with his fellow tax collectors and many other notorious sinners. There are many people this kind among the crowds that followed Jesus. But when some of the teachers of the religious law who were Pharisees, saw him eating with people like that, they said to his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them, you're scum. No, I'm just kidding. I just seen if you're following along. But wouldn't you have liked Jesus at that point in time to sort of step up and say, oh yeah, no, no, he did. Because Jesus knew we're all in need. Okay, this is what Jesus actually said. 
Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come to call sinners, not those who think they're already good enough. I love that passage. Here's Matthew, okay? He's a Jew appointed by the Roman government to be the area's tax collector. Don't you understand this about, about Matthew, or in this, you know, his, his name Levi Matthew. He collected taxes from the citizens as well as from merchants who passed through town. Now, tax collectors were not liked, not one bit, okay? They were expected to take a commission on the taxes from which they collected, and, but what they always did was they overcharged and they kept the extra profits. And everybody knew it. They couldn't do anything about it. As a result, the tax collectors were hated by the Jews. And they had a horrible reputation for cheating because of their support too, to Rome. Jesus stopped at Matthew's booth. Think about it for a second, please. How often do we see religious leaders stopping by the place that nobody wants to stop? To talk to people that nobody wants to talk to. Jesus stops right there at the booth, sort of looks at Matthew, looks at the lucrative career that he has going for himself, and he says, come follow me. Really simple, right? It's a lot more meaning to those words. We'll come back to it. Matthew got up from his booth and left. His decision to leave seemed to be quick. It seemed to be like a, just a reckless abandonment. Maybe he was so sick and tired of his life, he was waiting for that opportunity to bail and get out of it. Maybe he was looking for that right person to come along and sort of take him down a new path in life. Maybe he saw the eyes of Jesus, he heard the voice of God, and knew he had no other choice but to follow Jesus. Maybe he had heard so much about the life of Jesus, saying, this is what it means to be a follower? I'm in. I've just been waiting for somebody to ask me. He did. This wasn't exactly an easy choice, I'm sure, because he left the prophets, he left the comforts. It's probably a difficult choice. But those two key words here, follow me, meant an incredible amount. Repeat after me, follow me. I'll say follow Jesus. Look at the person next to you and tell them, follow Jesus. First, we need to hear the command of Jesus saying, follow me. See, it wasn't an I think we take this as an invitation. Like he was saying, you want to follow me? Like it was like, hey, here's an invitation. Love to have you there. Follow me. This was an imperative. It was command. It was, hey, right now, you follow me. Okay? It's one of those things, parents, when you have your kids that are about yay high, and you're walking through a crowded mall, and you're like, Grab my hand and follow me. It isn't like, hey, it'd be a good idea if you stick close to me. It's no, you are sticking close to me. You're grabbing me right now, and we're walking together. That's what we're talking about. It was an imperative. It was a command. Okay? It wasn't a physical following or an invitation to learn more about Jesus. Or they want you to sort of see if this is a permanent position you'd like to have. It was a, first of all, turning from sin to salvation, to be healed by God. That's where it all started. Let's make sure that's correct, okay? It wasn't, hey, why don't you give up that job? It was, why don't you get your heart changed first? If you're going to follow me, this has got to change first. After this is changed, there's repentance, then you're going to walk with me into other things, okay? 
Follow me occurs 13 times in the Gospels, but in addition to those 13 times where Jesus says, follow me, there's other references to where Jesus had people saying, you know, we're going to follow you. Okay? These two words mean something pretty incredible. I'm going to give you five ideas of what the words follow me means, okay? First thing is obedience. Let me hear you say obedience. Unpopular concept today. Dave and I were talking about it uh, before the service started. You see, we've become a very independent nation, a very independent people. We don't want to make it sound like we've blindly followed bad advice. So because we're so independent, because we want to do things our way, when somebody says you need to obey this, we're like, you can't tell me to do that. Who are you to tell me? You know, finish the sentence. It's hard for us to obey people. You know, you consider what it was like as a teacher 50 years ago. Now, for some of you who have been in education a long time, you can maybe go back to your very first years of teaching, but I think if we went back even further to when you're in the classroom and the teacher said, this is what we're going to do. The student's like, okay, yes, ma'am, yes, sir. There's, there's, there's obedience. Today, hey, why don't you guys turn in your book to 23? I'm not going to Hey, you need to turn in your homework. I'm not going to turn in my homework. Where's the obedience to authority? A lack of respect, a disregard for authority, we become skeptical, I think, maybe to authority because we look at authority and we say, I don't know if I can trust leadership. So for that reason, I'm not going to obey them. Various reasons, but in doing so, we have forgotten what it means to obey. When Jesus says, follow me, the first thing Jesus is saying is, let's get the heart right, okay? Then he's saying, obedience. You have to obey. What commands am I supposed to follow, Jesus? What do you say? The, the greatest, the first and greatest command is what? Love the Lord your God with all your strength, soul, heart, mind, right? What's the second greatest one? To love your neighbors yourself. Well, those are two great commands. I'm supposed to obey them? So every time we do not love God, every time we do not love others, guess what? We're not obeying. We're not being very good disciples. Follow me means obey, obedience. The second thing, follow me, means repentance. I already mentioned this, but let me hear you say repent. Jesus knew when he approached Matthew, he was a sinner. Now, I want you to think about this. Go back to that scripture, okay? Consider what takes place in the scripture prior to this. Look at Mark chapter 2. But I want you to go back to verse 1 of chapter 2. What happened before Jesus talked to Matthew? Several days later, Jesus returned to Capernaum, and the news of his arrival spread quickly throughout the town. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors, there wasn't room for one more person, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Four men arrived, carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't get Jesus through the crowd, so they dug through the clay roof above his head, and they lowered the sick man on his mat down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my son, your sins are forgiven. Not, son, you're healed. What do you do? First thing you do, son, your sins are forgiven. Heart first. Some of the teachers of the religious law were sitting there and they said to themselves, what? This is blasphemy. Who but God can forgive sins? Jesus knew what they were discussing among themselves. I love it. You know, Jesus like, oh yeah? Well, let me tell you about that. And like, how did he hear us? And sometimes their lips weren't even moving. They were thinking it. And Jesus like, hey, oh, let me address that issue. He's Jesus. He's the son of God, okay? Verse eight. Why do you think this is blasphemy? Is it easier to, see, to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or get up, pick up your mat, and walk? I'll prove that I, the Son of Man, have the authority on earth to forgive sins. And Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, take your mat, 
Go home because you're healed. The man jumped up, took the mat, pushed his way through the stunned onlookers. They all praised God. We've never seen anything like this before. They exclaimed. In this passage, what did Jesus do first of all? He forgave the man's sins. There was repentance that took place. Your sins are forgiven. That's the story. So Jesus just not only healed a man physically, but he healed a man spiritually. What's the very next thing that happens? In Matthew. I want you to follow me. You are sitting among what these guys over here are calling scum, okay? You're messed up. You're sinful, okay? I want you to follow me. First of all, that takes a bending of the heart, repentance. And then it takes obedience. Jesus is the holy son of God. No sin in him. No steps in any sinful direction. No sinful thoughts. So basically, anybody following Jesus, that's all of us, okay? We also have to turn from the direction of sin to walk with Jesus. If we're going to walk with Jesus, there's moments we do this, right? We mess up. We sin. We make those steps in the wrong direction, and we realize, I'm a disciple of Jesus. Why am I walking this way? Why did I just make that choice? Why did I think that thought? Why did I say that? Why did I act that way? Why was I spreading that rumor and that gossip? And in that moment in time, we hear the words of Jesus saying, follow me. And we confess, we repent, and we turn, and we start walking in the direction of Jesus again. That's what it means to follow me. The third thing is submission. Let me hear you say submission. Submission refers to a yoke that the uh, farmers would use. It's partnering with the work of Jesus. When an animal was yoked, they had this wooden yoke that would go around the neck of one oxen, maybe another oxen, another farm animal, and together they would pull to plow a farm implement to work the ground. They pulled together. They worked together. They were placed under the authority of one working together. They worked alongside to accomplish something. That was submission. I'm falling under the authority of Jesus Christ to work with my brothers and sisters in Christ as we pull together. That's submission together. Here's the fourth thing. Let me hear you say trust. Trust. You know, a lack of trust will cause us to deviate from direction, no doubt about it. I, I know it sounds corny, but trust is a must. Okay? That sounds bad. It's like a bad bumper sticker, isn't it? Trust is a must. If you don't trust your teacher, if you don't trust your coach, if you don't trust your parents, you don't trust your employer, you're not going to accomplish, you're not going to succeed, you're not going to move forward. It's really simple. If we don't trust God, we can't move forward. Jesus says, follow me, which means I'm going to repent of my sins, I'm going to obey, I'm going to submit to him, but I've got to trust him too. That his direction is the correct direction. And then here's the last thing. Persevere. Let me hear you say persevere. Following is not an isolated act. It's not a one-time thing. Okay? I gave my life to Jesus. I am now following him. So you gave your life to Jesus. You repented, right? Okay? You've been given salvation by the grace of God. It was a gift. Okay, now every day you're going to persevere. When you wake up and you want to give up, you don't. It's a lifetime commitment that I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep following. It isn't like, I follow Jesus today. No, I'm following Jesus today. You're not there yet. Until we end up in heaven in the presence of God, we are still following. Everybody got that? I'm a follower. I'm not a followed. Okay? That's horrible English, I know. But you get the point? It isn't a one-time thing. It's a continuous thing. Let me read Psalm 119 to you. Psalm 119, some incredible, incredible things about God's word. Psalm 119, starting in 105, says this, Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. God's word 
is, is going to guide me, his direction, okay? And I'm going to follow his truth, okay? But if you were to read on verses 106, 7, 8, let me just read this and listen very carefully, okay? I've promised it once. I'll promise it again. I will obey your regulations. There's the obedience, okay? I have suffered much, O Lord. Restore my life again as you promised. There's some restoring, there's some repentance going on. Lord, accept my offering of praise. Teach me your regulations. My life constantly hangs in the balance, but I will not stop obeying your instructions. The wicked have set their traps for me, but I will not turn from your commandments. Your laws are my treasure. They are my heart's delight. Now listen to verse 112. I am determined to keep your degrees to the very end. This is perseverance. Let me back it up again, okay? Your word is a lamp to guide me. Your light is for my path. Then go down to verse 12. I am determined to keep your decrees to the end. This is my guide. This is where I'm going. I'm following. I'm going to keep going to the end until Christ calls me home to be in his presence. I'm going to keep going to the very end. It's perseverance. That's following. Now, let me repeat these again. So we understand that when Jesus came to Matthew, he said, Matthew, follow me. This is what he is saying. First of all, repentance, obedience, submission, trust, perseverance. Now, that's what he meant by follow me. Now, here's the incredible thing I want you to hear about Matthew. Listen very carefully to this, because again, a lot of you, and I've done this multiple times, and there's some days I wake up and I say, really, why me? where we disqualify ourselves as followers of Jesus Christ. We say, I, I'm not worthy to be a disciple. How about I'll just be one of those no-namers that hangs in the back. You have 12 up there, and I'll just be back here. Okay? Jesus said, no, come up here and follow me. Matthew was a bridge to his friends. I want you to hear this. Matthew was a bridge to his friends. Look at chapter 2, verse 10. Chapter 2, verse, I'm sorry, not verse 10. That's not where I want you. Chapter 2, verse 15. That night, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to be his dinner guest, along with fellow tax collectors and many other notorious sinners. Matthew had this connection with all these people who didn't know Jesus. Some people are like, you know, it's awesome to be a pastor when, you know, and, and there, was a, there was a time when I would sit in the church office. Let me tell you something. That's no fun. Guess who I get to hang out with at the church? Christians. That's okay, but how can I tell other people about Jesus when they already know Jesus? So you have to understand my passion for what I do in life. I want to be around people who don't know Jesus. You know why? Because then I get to tell them about Jesus. I love coming here and talking with you about Jesus on Sunday mornings. And I'll meet with you anytime during the week. Anytime. But I also want to get to know people who don't know Jesus. That's what Matthew, Matthew had all these connections with people who didn't know Jesus. The religious leaders called them scum. They were notorious people. They were bad news. And what does Matthew do? Hey, Jesus, come over to my house tonight. I'm going to get my gang together here. We're all going to listen to you. Matthew became a bridge for Jesus. How's, how's, you know, we know Jesus could have gotten and talked to those people any way he wanted to, but what did Jesus do? He allowed his disciple to be the bridge. He lets you do that too. You know people who don't know Jesus. 
you get to be the bridge for Jesus. Isn't that incredible? He picks you to do that. Think about where you work, who you hang out with, family members that don't know Jesus. You're the bridge. Next week, Mark Cahill's going to be here. Oh, the gospel's going to be presented very clearly, okay? And sometimes you're like, I don't know how to tell people. I don't know what to say. You're the bridge. You just invite, bring with you. Or you know what, like I said, told you, I got an email a couple weeks ago saying, hey, I'm meeting with somebody. They want to know about my life and how it's changed spiritually. And, and would you come with me to eat with them and share? Absolutely. What are they doing? They're making a bridge. I'm, I'm not the Jesus, okay? But because I like talking about Jesus, I'm going to help him bridge it. Does that make sense? And who would have ever guessed that a despised tax collector was brilliant enough in using his pen to record taxes, to write names, to use this over and over? He's probably a righty. No, he's a lefty. And so he was just writing away, keeping record, keeping record. And then someday Jesus says, you know what? You've done a great job recording. You know how to use a pen. Why don't you write a book for me? And he wrote the book of Matthew. He was taking taxes from people, cheating people, and now he's giving back to people in an incredible way. Don't discount yourself thinking, what can Jesus do with me? What can he do with you? You might write a book for him. What can Jesus do with you? You might be the bridge for people. When you look through the list of disciples, go to Matthew 10. We've got time for this. Go to Matthew chapter 10. We're just going to read this real quick. I want you to see something pretty interesting here. When you see this list of disciples in chapter 10, Jesus calls 12 disciples, gave them authority, and here's the names of them, okay? It says, first there was Simon, also called Peter. Then there's Andrew, Peter's brother. Then we have John, son of Zebedee, and ours James, and then John, who's James' brother. Okay, so we got them paired together. Then we got Philip, Bartholomew, who's also known as Nathaniel. We got Thomas, Matthew, the tax collector. Okay, by the way, this is the only place that tax collectors mentioned about Matthew. I think it might have been Matthew's sort of way of saying, by the grace of God, I've been changed. And he publicly confesses to everybody in his own book, I was a tax collector, because we don't see that anywhere else, okay? Then we have James, son of Alphaeus. We have Thaddeus, who's also Judas, son of James. And Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. Now, if you look through some of these verses, they were paired together, which I thought was interesting, like disciple partners, right? Something like that. But anyway, think about this. Simon Peter was a fisherman. He's very impulsive and very brash. Boldly spoke for Jesus, right? He seemed to be a natural leader for the twelve. Then you have Andrew, who was a fisherman. He brought others to Jesus. Maybe he didn't have the words, so he just picked them up and brought them to Jesus. He did that uh, with Philip and Nathaniel. He just sort of said, hey, Philip, you've got to meet this Jesus. Let me ask you this. How many of you have a vehicle with an extra seat in it? Okay, fill that seat Sunday morning. Be in it, being Andrew, Okay. Hey, I don't know how to talk about Jesus. I'm just going to bring them to Jesus, okay? We'll bring them to church. We'll bring them to where they can worship, where they can hear about Jesus. Uh, pick somebody up along the way. James, he's a fisherman, quick-tempered, judgmental. He wanted to be the first with Jesus. Remember they had that little discussion? James and John, their mom's like, hey, who's going to be on the right? Who's going to be on the left of Jesus? I don't know. Who's going to be the greatest? They had this discussion. Man, you know, so they've got this very, I want to be first, and they were overly competitive. They were nicknamed Sons of Thunder, Okay, Luke chapter 9, verse 51, they wanted to call down, they wanted, they wanted God to basically destroy the Samaritan village because they didn't believe in Jesus. Oh, they're not going to believe in Jesus? Destroy them. Okay, they got a nickname called Sons of Thunder for that, okay? Um, they were very brash as well, but they're committed to Jesus. Matter of fact, James was the first one martyred for Jesus. He was killed by King Herod. 
King Herod said, ooh, this pleases the Jews, so I'm going to start taking other disciples and killing them. But it started with James. Okay? John, who's James' brother, fisherman, similar to James in temper and judgmental and competitive, he wrote the fourth gospel. He also wrote first, second, third John and Revelation. He lived the longest, they believe, of all the disciples, which goes to show you James, their brothers, okay, first one to go, last one to stick around with 12. Just goes to show you, as a disciple of Jesus, God's got different paths for all of us. Philip, it's a fisherman, question things. Who's going to feed the 5,000, Jesus? Jesus used those questions to teach him. Let me, let me answer that for you. Ask those questions. Bartholomew, other known as, otherwise known as Nathaniel, unknown occupation. He initially rejected Jesus. Yeah, that's honest, right? How many times have you tried to lead somebody to Christ? How want to take you about Jesus? Don't want to hear. Hey, Bartholomew was the same way. Okay? Thomas. Um, we all know about Thomas, right? Because he doubted Jesus, became known famous for that. Okay? Jesus still uses doubt to reach others. We just talked about Matthew. And then James, son of Alphaeus, not much is known about. We don't know much about him at all. I try to research and find him. Not much about him. Okay, what does that say? That means that anybody can follow Jesus. And, you know, it's like, well, do I have to be on the spotlight to do stuff for Jesus? No, no. Anybody can follow Jesus. I, you know, there's great people that do great things for God. We don't even know who they are. I'm so glad that they're there because what they did goes unnoticed, but they, what they did probably mattered a lot. We have Thaddeus, son, uh, Judas, son of James. Unknown, but he asked Jesus why he would reveal himself to his followers, but not to the world. Jesus, why are you doing that? Good question. That doesn't make sense. I love it when disciples go to Jesus and say, this doesn't make sense, Jesus. Can you help me? Even his disciples questioned Jesus and wanted help. Okay. Don't always understand the plan. Just follow it, right? Then you got Simon the Zealot, which is a radical political party to overthrow Rome, by the way. Okay? So can you imagine this? You have this really high political guy who's like, I just want to overthrow Rome. And you got Matthew. I serve Rome. Hey, we're disciple partners. You want to talk about it? Okay, that would have been a great combo, right? Are you, you following me here, seeing the, what, what these disciples were like? And then Judas Iscariot, we, uh, we know him. He was greedy. He was a betrayer. And you know what? He was showing up, but he, you know what? Just because you showed up to follow Jesus didn't mean you solidified your walk. Obedience and love are a must, and it wasn't with him. Let me ask you this. When I read through that list, let me ask you this. Where was the political le leader? Where was the celebrity? Where was the singer? Where was the CEO? Where was the all-star athlete or, athlete or the, the one with the graduate degree and the, the masters? Where was the pastor? Where were the religious leaders? Who was the comedian? Where were, they're, they're professionals, right? I mean, those are the people that followed Jesus, right? These were ordinary guys. He chose them. He didn't have a draft day. He didn't have tryouts. He didn't line them all up and pick captains. Okay, uh, you, okay. Uh, Peter, you talk a lot. Why don't you be a captain? Didn't do that. All right, show me your resumes. I want to see what qualifies you to be a disciple. Didn't do that. He took a band of miscellaneous unknown men, turned them into an amazing, influential, world-changing team. It's incredible. Hendrickson writes this. We cannot fail to be impressed with the majesty of the Savior, whose drawing power incomparable wisdom and matchless love were so astounding that he was able to gather around himself and to unite into one family men of entirely different and at times even opposite backgrounds and temperaments. Included in this little band was Peter, the optimist, but also Thomas, the pessimist. 
Simon, the one-time zealot, hating taxes, eager to overthrow the Roman government. But also Matthew, who voluntarily offered his tax collecting services to that same Roman government. Peter, John, Matthew, destined to become renowned for their writings. But also James the Less, who remains obscure, but must have fulfilled his mission. They were chosen by Jesus. They came from various backgrounds and occupations. And Matthew shows us that being a disciple for Jesus is for those of us who know how to fail, which would include all of us. Isn't it good to know that these were just ordinary guys that Jesus said, follow me? And they did. Let me ask you this. If Jesus can use disciples like these, can he use you? You have to honestly answer that question before I move on. Answer to yourself. Don't say it out loud. If Jesus can use disciples like these, can he use you? And right now, the truth to that answer is yes. A resounding yes. But inside, did it come out? No. See, we, we have a group of disciples here. Our band isn't called Disciples. You know, we're, we have this nickname. We're called the church, okay? Would you be picked by Jesus? Why not? Why so? Are you feeling inadequate about it or incapable? Not the godly material? I heard a song this week. Oh, it's the worship team. Why don't you guys go ahead and come on out? There's a song. They're not going to play it. They're not going to sing it. But I'm going to put it in this week's newsletter. You can tag on to it and uh, watch the video. It's by Matthew West. It's called Hello, My Name Is. And uh, I'm going to just give you part of the lyrics. It goes like this. Hello, my name is Regret. I'm pretty sure we have met. Every single day of your life, I'm the whisper inside that won't let you forget. Hello, my name is Defeat. I know you recognize me. Just when you think you can win, I'll drag you back down again till you've lost all belief. These are the voices. These are the lies. I've believed them for the very last time. Hello, my name is Child of the One True King. I've been saved. I've been changed. I've been set free. Amazing Grace is the song I sing. Hello, my name is Child of the One True King. I'm no longer defined by all the wreckage behind. The one who makes all things new has proven it's true. Just take a look at my life. What love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called his children. I'm a child of the one true king. Last week, our first step in this D90X is to understand that Jesus is the Son of God. You've got to grasp that. You've got to believe that. You've got to live that. This week, what I want you to hear is this. Now you have to understand the truth about you. That's the truth about Jesus. Now, the truth about you is you're a child of the king. You're a follower. You're a disciple. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Ephesians 1, 3 says, I have everything I need to successfully follow Jesus. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly realms because we're united with Christ. This is your Jesus, my Jesus. He's telling you and me, you're new. Nothing's going to separate our love. Matter of fact, Romans 8, 39. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. We know the truth about Jesus. I want you to hear the truth about you. As a follower of Jesus, he will use you like he used Matthew. Just follow him. Repent 
obey, right? trust. All we talked about in following him, we can do this. You're going to do it with a partner, okay? Let's, uh, would you stand, please? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're an awesome God. You're a great God. Matter of fact, God, we're going to sing about how great you are. We're going to sing to you. We can sing to you about that because of how you look at us. The world around us might call us scum. They might look at our past, our mistakes, and say, well, you blew it. But the incredible thing is, is that you allow us to repent and make things new. And then you command us to follow you. So we obey. We trust. We submit. We persevere. Help us to do that, God. God, as we sing to you now, just bring to light the truth of who we are and who you are. Let us rejoice by singing to you. In the name we pray. Amen.